Hi there. Welcome to listeners from across the globe. My name is Allison Nune, and this is Best Damn Reality, a new podcast intending to help bridge the spiritual and material worlds. Each week, I invite you to join me and to suspend all preconceived notions, to open your minds and your hearts to seeing everything from a much faster perspective. Should you be enticed enough, please also consider visiting me on my YouTube channel and on my business Facebook page, both under the name Allison Nune. Now, sit back, relax, and enjoy the journey. Episode 4. Welcome back to any of you that have listened to all or one of the first three episodes, and to any new listeners. I'm very excited that somehow, some way, you were drawn to tune in to this week's episode. The title of this week's episode is All is Valid. All is Valid. Before we dive into a little bit of a stream of consciousness of what I mean or intend by that phrase, and then jumping into this week's story, which revolves around Oh my gosh, the presence of Donald Trump shortly after his first election, um, being on a course that I was working for a timing company. We'll get to that story here in a second, but I'm going to do a much shorter recap of the previous weeks than I have in the first couple of episodes. I don't want to, last week I talked about Australia and it ended up only being for a smaller segment of the entire show than what I had originally envisioned. And boy, I could speak forever about the details and nuances of that experience that I had. Uh, my first extended, more than a week in, you know, my first extended trip or time spent in a different culture. And despite the Australian culture still being westernized, still obviously uh, speaking English. It was because I believe that had I been in a country such as Germany, which was the second choice of studying abroad was to go to Germany because I had had studied German all the way through high school. I had eighth grade through 12th grade. I studied German and I always believed that being immersed in a culture with a that spoke a different language is the best way to learn the language. And I, I, hope to someday speak another language fluently. At this point, uh, I do not. I cannot make that claim. So, you know, I chose a westernized culture that was the shock of the minimal differences in what it was going to be to America. I I didn't want to, knowing that I was going alone and knowing I had never gone on an international excursion such as this, I, I definitely took that into consideration when I made my final choice of where I was going to study. But I really could go into tremendous detail of what transpired for me within on that trip. The amount that I was aware of at the time and certainly what has been revealed to me now down the line of my life, uh, what was really going on. I have a whole new interpretation of it. And the magic, you know, I only referenced it and talked about it a little bit last week. Um, 
And we also summarized the synchronicities in last week's episode. We summarized the (laughs) not-so-small list of synchronicities in the basketball story of my life. Um, And again, all of these weeks for the first 12 episodes are best appreciated if you can listen to them all uh, as, as a unit, like actually give yourself time to take all 12 episodes in. I believe that that is going to be the best way to fully appreciate this picture that I'm attempting to paint. And I'm making it up as I go along. Other than knowing what story I'm going to be sharing from my past in each week, the personalities around which the story centers, and the theme determined by the title of the episode, beyond that... I do not have a plan for what comes through me in each recording. Given that fact, it is a journey for me each and every week. Um, And I think I'm going to begin sharing a little bit of a behind the scenes of each week's recordings on my YouTube channel. Uh, That recording I feel like will be a little bit more personalized uh, more so than than these, really geared towards people who know a little bit more of the intricacies of my life at present, because it's all been very consciously lived for the past eight years. Okay, with that said, I really do want to try something new here in episode four and jump to the story first and see where that takes me. And I would be lying if I said that I wasn't more than a little bit anxious, a little bit nervous about this week's episode, knowing that the primary character around whom this this week's stories revolve is a character, Donald Trump, that stirs a great deal of emotion in folks at present here towards the end of July of 2020, when this recording is being done. So I'm nervous because I have a history prior to my awakening and understanding myself in a whole new way. Prior to that point, 10 years ago, up until I was almost 35 years old, I was living as a people pleaser. I was very much trying to be a harmonizer in all areas of my life, starting from a very young age as being the oldest of three children in a divorced home where there was just a lot of incentive for me without being fully aware of it. Um, I, there was already such stress around me at such a young age that I never intentionally wanted to contribute to that. In fact, quite the opposite. My goal was always to be a harmonizer and a a people pleaser and to make people feel good. I do not enjoy triggering people. I do not enjoy making people feel uncomfortable. But one of the hardest aspects of my life the past eight years, the past 10 years really, since my awakening, my point of no return of seeing the world and giving myself permission to live my life from the much vaster perspective that I had always seen, but just did not have the courage to follow through on because seemingly I was in a very big minority in terms of how I saw reality. So I, I have learned the hard way in the past 10 years 
that simply by living this way with a much vaster perspective of life and reality, in and of itself, that has been terribly threatening to people. And most don't say anything, but because I am so extremely sensitive and I feel things so deeply, and I'm not talking about just when I'm in a room with someone, I believe I feel things like from, I can feel the thoughts and certain aspects of things from people miles and miles away from me. And some of that was validated after my first leap of faith eight years ago. And I know this, I know this might end up sounding disjointed. I don't want to go off on that tangent, but basically after I felt when I first leaped in and started talking from this vaster perspective of my life, um, I could feel how many people in my life were, were terrified of what I was doing. I could feel the judgment and I could, I knew myself because of my old conditioned voice inside my own head, I knew the frequency of what certain thoughts felt like what certain judgments and criticisms felt like because I had been that to myself for the majority of my life up until my awakening. And it wouldn't be for years later that a couple of individuals admitted to me what they thought of me and what I was sharing and what I was doing seven and a half years ago when I first launched everything. They admitted that they thought I was crazy that I had gone off the deep end. And it was a very powerful validator for me just in terms of learning and honing in on my own abilities and what I was picking up on without knowing it for sure. But then, like I said, these years later, a few folks were courageous enough, I suppose you could phrase it that way, to share what they really thought with me. And it's been a great exercise of thickening my skin you know, I've, I've shared in the first three episodes, I think a little bit in each episode, that I, I believe I'm being called when I examine my life and my skill sets and my desires and my ultimate belief that there is a huge shift in consciousness taking place on the planet. I believe our souls choose our lives and as such have a very specific mission in these personalities that that our souls come into in this body in this character known as Allison after my awakening I just felt my purpose almost instantly and while I don't know that I'll ever know what it is in its entirety I know that in part I have the ability to speak and write with my words and I have life experiences that span a gamut of um, as I've said in earlier episodes, I've touched down in a lot of big segments of our society at large, and I've crossed paths with powerful people in these various segments of society. And I believe that I am intended to attempt to speak from a balanced fulcrum point about all these different experiences and in the light of and the belief in the shift in consciousness taking place. And I'm attempting to cast a very wide net still, which means that 
I'm going to lose some people and other people are going to be right with me. But this week's episode is nerve-wracking for me because of the topic matter just being centered around Donald Trump. And as I've said, I'm on everybody's team and I'm on nobody's team. So somebody might tune in to one week, one week's episode and listen to some things and be right with me. And the next week they may turn in and they might completely be triggered and be angry with me and, and project, be uncomfortable, made to feel uncomfortable by something coming out of my mouth, something being shared. And what I've learned through my examination of myself and my energy out in the world, studying it to the nth degree in the past eight years, is that often, way more often than not, when I have the courage to speak up about what my opinions are, which I've held back on for the vast majority of this life, because I've always known that I was on everybody's team and nobody's team. You can't pigeonhole me, not in any way, shape, or form. And that means that, you know, and we, I think as humans, tend to want to be around others that think exactly like us. And as soon as we stumble upon a difference of opinion, a difference of perspective, a different belief, we, we, it's hard for us as humans to reconcile that in my experience and in my observation. And I would argue at present here, the magnitude of our inability to reconcile our differences is at an unprecedented level, due in no small part to the conscious manipulation of humanity by a relatively small number of human individuals that are being guided by the dark. I mean, there's no way really to put it the dark and the light. And for me, I've always wanted I've always wanted to resist believing that there were dark forces on the planet simply because my natural tendency is to be super trusting, super hopeful, super positive, and I didn't want to believe that there were dark forces in action. And for me, that veil of the illusion became first became visible to me after 9/11. And ever since then, my journey has revealed through my own research and through listening to people that resonate as coming from the heart, I've learned that there is a hell of a lot more going on than what we're being told through any mainstream outlet. And listen, I'm not here to debate or to convince anybody for those that resonate with things of which I speak, I'm here because I very much believe we have this beautiful opportunity at our feet right now to recreate everything from a foundation of love versus a foundation of fear. And to those for whom they don't, you know, they're made a little bit more uncomfortable and don't want to believe that there are all sorts of, you know, things going on in our leadership, in all the leadership places of our society, in our religious institutions, in our corporations, and in our politics, there is dark, corrupt energy leading. And I would argue far more in the leadership position is dark than light. And the shift that is taking place is the light is about to take over in the driver's seat in mass on our planet. 
So for those who, you know, may not want to have that veil of illusion removed, they don't want to see the wizard behind the curtain who's purposely keeping the communities in fear. And that's okay. I just... You know, if you tune out as soon as I say something that makes you uncomfortable, absolutely okay. I get it. I don't take anything personally. Yet, that is still not an easy thing for me to not think, take things personally. I Once I process it, I get to that point. But in general, I really don't like making people uncomfortable. The reality is, though, if I'm going to speak in the way I'm being called and in the way that I'm able to speak... To these greater truths, rest assured, I'm going to make people uncomfortable. And even though I am neither pro-Trump or anti-Trump, I do lean towards one, but I really don't care because I stopped paying attention to politics in 2008. I couldn't, by that point, I could not see any way to pay attention where I wasn't made to feel all sorts of negative things completely powerless, completely full of anger and frustration and judgment and criticism, knowing that they were pitting us against one another in this arbitrary way, believing that two political parties can somehow represent 300 plus million different viewpoints. That's ridiculous. And I always saw it as ridiculous, but I was made to feel as if as an educated, highly educated citizen that I was not, I was doing, I was in the wrong by choosing to not participate. But I always come back to one of my favorite quotations by Albert Einstein. You cannot solve problems from the same consciousness that created them. You must see the world anew. So what I've dedicated my entire life, the rest of this life is, I know this is a general part of my calling, is to be working entirely for the new, coming at it from a genuine different perspective that is just playing a much vaster game of reality, a game where there are no sides, where we see one another not as separate, but as different and unique, not as separate. We're all one. We're all connected, but we are unique expressions of that one energy. And the magic when you can connect with somebody who on the surface has completely different beliefs than you, but you're able to align and find that frequency of matching of mutual respect that each of you has your own right to define how you're going to interpret reality and what you as such make your reality to be. Because right now, folks, the curtain is pulled back. The veil of illusion is gone. Everything is on the table. It's like a smorgasbord of what you can pick to assemble what works for you. And for me, I pick the highest love. I pick the frequency that allows for the greatest amount of positivity the greatest amount of love, the greatest amount of potential for thriving for as many people as possible for as long as possible. That is my greatest intent. That is my goal to be spreading that energy in everything I do and everything I say.
And if somebody can't handle or agree to accept that as my intention, that's not my business. And it's for them to work through if they're uncomfortable with what I'm saying, if somebody's not yet ready to see something or even consider it from a different perspective. And my skin had to get a lot thicker in the past seven years than it was when I first launched into this. When I first launched into this, I naively started sharing from this faster perspective, believing that everybody that cared and loved about me before would be able to continue to do so, even though I was revealing myself to be sort of a different version of myself, a more expanded, mature version of myself. And it was shocking to me. And it was some of the deepest pain I've ever experienced because almost across the board, it was coming from the people closest to me, my family members, my closest friends. It, it was just, it was a really challenging exercise, a challenging time for me to go through these lessons over the past seven years in a lot of intimate relationships of learning that Hey, no longer am I going to accept somebody else's uneasiness, somebody else's fears. Those are not mine. And I am not going to allow somebody else's opinions and beliefs to affect or bring me down, especially when I know how much I'm intending to come from my heart and from the light to serve the oneness, to truly try to live the energy of God, the one, the cosmos, the universe, the light, source energy, whatever you call it. I see the united energy of all religions and all spirituality. It all comes from the same place. And if somebody can't agree to see or believe that that's where I'm coming from when I speak and talk and with my projects and with everything that my work represents, again, That's just not for me. I know I'm not trying to upset you, but I really am intending to try to guide all of us to a much uh, healthier, balanced, happier uh, frequency of interaction. Okay, with that said, let's get to this story because it really is, (laughs) it's a whopper. All right, so let's see, when was Trump elected? In 16, right? Okay, so here we are in March of 2017. Now, as I've shared in previous podcasts, among my many jobs that I've had, I have been for the past six years with Iron Man, but really closer to the past 10 years, I've been part of the event world, specifically running races and triathlons. And I have worked as a contract employee uh, throughout the state of Florida, and then with the company known as Ironman, uh, their their other name is World Triathlon Corporation, but they're known out in the world as Ironman. I started traveling the entire country, working uh, for them, putting on triathlons, and most of my local races here in the state of Florida, most of them have been running races. And I have served in multiple capacities behind the scenes with all the pieces that uh, comprise putting together these events. 
Well, for the first time, you know, in part of the Ironman world, I was exposed to many different work opportunities that I didn't even, I didn't have the chance before. And one of them was in the area of timing. Okay. There are specific companies, one in particular called Sports Stats out of Michigan, which is an interesting synchronicity because I'm from Michigan. They're based out of Michigan and they are entirely their whole job. And they do races of every, they do high school races all the way up to these professional races. They handle the timing and, you know, the chips that you wear on your ankle or the chips that you put on your bicycle, if it's a bicycle only race, that times all the participants, which then obviously uh, correlates to the awards and, and who wins in each category, in each age group category. So in the Ironman world, I was exposed to sports stats and became close with the young woman who was in charge of their scheduling. And knowing that I lived in Florida, she scheduled me for an event that was on the other coast of Florida, on the East Coast. And this was for a bicycle-only race. So at this point, I had never worked a bicycle-only race, and I had never worked timing. So I'm new all, you know, in all ways here, I'm a newbie. And I drive over and it was set to be a three-day weekend, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, and it was in Delray Beach. So I get in my little green Hyundai Accent, 2009 little car, no hubcaps, little piece of crap car, and I bring that up for later in the story here. And I head over to Delray Beach and I was set to report to a hotel where we were simply going to be checking the racers in. And we were going to be doing that on Friday and Saturday. And then Sunday morning was the race. So I arrive on Friday afternoon, or late morning, because registration started, I think at noon. And I get there and I meet a gentleman from Michigan who I had seen on the circuit, but I had never met him or worked with him. And he gives me the lowdown on what Friday and Saturday were going to entail. But one of the first things I start hearing everybody talking about around me in the registration room was that Trump was in town at the Mar-a-Laga and or Trump and Mar-a-Laga. That's what I kept hearing. And if you remember from last week, I gave up my TV and all mass media in 2008. So I don't ever know what's going on. I am very out of touch to the, to the pretty high degree from what's going on in the world. I didn't know what the Mar-a-Laga was. I didn't know that it was a hotel that he not only owned, but that he frequents often. And that already in his short time since being elected as president of this country, he had been to Mar-a-Laga a handful of times, I believe, already. And this was in March of 2017. So I hear this and then I inquire to the guy from Sports Stats and I'm like, what, what, why does it matter? What do we, what is, what's going on? Why does this matter? And he said, well, the Mar-a-Laga, the hotel is on the northern border of the course. So this was obviously all the security, everything that's in place whenever the president's in town is this going to be a pretty big deal? So again, I don't really know like how this is going to affect me. I'm not really affected one way or the other. I'm just kind of like, well, okay, Trump's in town. The hotel's on the northern end of the course. All right, well, we'll sh you know, we shall see how this affects me. So the next night, I, did we go Friday? I think it was Saturday. Oh, and there was one other girl also, one other woman that was going to be working timing with me. 
This guy was going to be the computer, like the, the brain of it all. And she and I have to set down on the course, the actual timing devices. We were going to be at either end of this. The course was basically on A1A, the whole strip. And one of us was going to be on one end and one of us was going to be on the other. So Saturday, late afternoon, after registration closes and before we have dinner, he wanted to take us on the course and show us what we were going to be doing, both of us newbies. So we head south first, and we get down to the southern turnaround point, and man, it's right on the ocean. You're like looking at the ocean. So her job, both of us, wherever we were going to be stationed, we were going to be put there for about, you know, four or five hours on Sunday morning. So we go there first and I'm like, please let me have this one. Please let me have this one. Cause I really didn't want to be in the craziness of the Northern end where the Mar-a-Lago was. If I had my druthers and if I had been given the choice, I definitely would have chosen the Southern point, especially when I saw the view. I mean, it was just gorgeous. So he shows us the area. And he shows us how we're going to line up these wires. There are all these wires that you have to duct tape down and they go to this little box, this little yellow box. So he takes care of showing us how to do this down there on the southern point. And then we start the long drive north to the northern point. And as we approach, now he had already looked through Google Maps. He had identified where he wanted to place the wires. And basically the goal and the timing is to set them in a place to discourage any cheaters. You don't want people to turn around sooner than the turnaround point. Otherwise, they're cutting the course. So the goal is to have the wiring that captures their timing chip and marks that they've crossed that point. You want to have it as close to the turnaround point as possible. So he had already pre-identified this point by looking at Google Maps and the satellite images. But he had not physically been down there yet to see what the setup was with the President of the United States in town. So we start approaching the parking lot and oh my goodness, we don't even pull over. He just says, whoa, listen, you're probably going to want to get here a little bit early tomorrow. The secret service is, I mean, it was a nut house and we just drove by. We didn't really examine it, but there was a parking lot that was the station point where everything was set up. Bomb sniffing dogs, a huge tent. Everybody had to go through this parking lot setup that was to our left. And then the bicyclists were set to come around this roundabout and the Mar-a-Laga was just on the other side of this wall on the roundabout. So it was right there. He was right there. So you could see that they had a, a you know, the sheriff's tent and I mean, they had huge cement blocks all the way around the roundabout. So there was no way you could go further north like normal when Trump's not at the Mar-a-Laga to continue on this one road. It forced you to go over this bridge back to the mainland. So we simply just drove by and he pointed out the sports stack guy. He pointed out where he wanted me to put the wire, the wiring. And he said, you're going to have to go into that parking lot to park and just make sure you get here a little early, maybe at 530 tomorrow morning, because clearly you're going to have to talk to the Secret Service. So 
I'm sitting there going, okay, all right, great. This is fantastic. And I'm driving over the bridge back to the mainland to circle back around. And you look out in the water and there's like probably a half a dozen police boats, you know, all with guys armed. I mean, it was crazy. It was crazy. And I was admittedly a little bit nervous on how the next day was going to roll out. Okay, so then we go to dinner, we go to the hotel, we get our sleep, and you know, early race days are always early rise times. So it was like a good 30 minutes, 45 minute drive to be, I think it was an 80 mile bike ride. So it was, it was a long drive down A1A that I had to make that morning, that Sunday morning. And I get there and I approach the roundabout where there's the sheriff's tent and there's two guys that are actually outside and I do, and I'm, I'm in this little piece of crap, little car. I don't even have AC. So the, you know, it's, it's got dents. It's got no hubcaps. I'm in a traffic vest. That's about eight sizes too big for me. And you know, I'm a midget. So I, I'm not a particularly, you know, threatening person here. And I look and I'm like, it's 5:30 in the morning and I pull up and I roll down the window and I'm like, Hey, how you doing? Hey, I'm with the bicycle race going on this morning, and I'm part of the timing unit, and I've got some equipment I need to set up on the road right there. I, you know, anybody in particular that I should talk to? And I'm like telling myself, I'm like, please don't ask me what the com- equipment is. Please don't ask me what the equipment is. Because I knew that beyond saying that it was a box and wires and how that was going to sound, there was no way I could describe it any further because I didn't know. All I knew is it was a box and wires. So what does he ask me as soon as I say this? He says, what kind of equipment? And I'm like, well, you know, just a box and some wires and he starts laughing and he looks at the other guy and he's like and I'm like look I know what this sounds like guys help me out here he goes you're gonna have to go to that parking lot and speak to the secret service so I pull around the roundabout I pull into the parking lot in the absolute corner spot and I walk and I approach again, it's 5.30 in the morning here, you know, it's dark outside and there's clearly uh, sort of an entrance to the, to the area, the staging area where there's one gentleman there. And I say the same thing. I said, Hey, how you doing? I'm with the bicycle race this morning. I'm with the timing unit. I have some equipment I need to set up on the road there. Was wondering who I need to talk to. Didn't have the equipment with me. It was in my trunk. Like I didn't have it on my person as I approached, just trying to find out which human being I needed to check with here. So this guy goes, ah, uh, that's, you're going to have to talk. And he points to this gentleman, this older, sophisticated gentleman who was clearly in charge of things in this area. So he directs me to him and I walk and we kind of meet one another. And I say for the third time, Hey, how you doing? I'm with the timing company for the bicycle race this morning. I've got just a little bit of equipment that I need to set in the road. I was wondering who I needed to run that by. And he looks at me and he said, what bicycle race going on this morning? I don't know about any brace. I said, sir, I'm, I'm just with the timing company, but there's going to be about 900 cyclists coming by here in about two hours time. And I don't know what to tell you, but... I'm just with the timing company. He goes, I'm, I do, you're not going to be able to have this race. I said, sir, I'm just with the timers. Not sure what else to tell you. And he doesn't, he, he just sits there befuddled and he says, well, what, what kind of equipment? Actually, he didn't even ask me what kind of equipment. He just said, well, 
It was almost like he was a little stupefied. He did not know about this bicycle race, and they didn't even ask me to look at the equipment. He said, go ahead, and I'll send somebody out to check to check on you. I said, okay, I'm going to be right. I'm setting it up right there. Like I was going to be setting it right just south of that entrance to the parking lot. So I, I tell him, so I'm like, all right, well, I'm going to go and, and, you know, put these wires down across the, across the road and get it set up. And it's this yellow box with wires that go across the road. I remember thinking, man, the traffic on this road was a lot busier than I had anticipated because they were, you know, they, they were directing people. I just couldn't, you know, I had to dodge traffic just to even get the damn thing set up. And then I'm waiting for somebody to come talk to me, you know, and I'm waiting and I go back into my car because now it's hurry up and wait. Now I just have to wait not only for the race to start, but I'm on the northern end. So it's going to be a while before the first racers get to me. So I sit in my car and I can, and I see through my rear view mirror, I'm watching the activity behind me and 7 a.m. must have been a shift change because there were all sorts of guys with German shepherds and tons of machine guns and all kinds of equipment, fist pumping, drinking their coffee, all doing all sorts of things. I'm just like, you know, trying to stay out of sight, not really wanting to interact and get, I mean, it was, it was a trip. And literally there was, they had to screen every single person that was going in as staff to the hotel. And I don't think they were letting anybody but staff into the hotel. Not exactly sure. Now, fast forward till about, it was about 7.30 and I'm like kind of closing my eyes and just, I had my alarm set in case I fell asleep and I'm just kind of sitting in my front seat and I hear the knock at the window and it's the secret service guy, the young guy that I had first talked to who directed me to the head guy. He's like, Hey, you all set? Did anybody, you know, you all set? I said, to be honest with you, Nobody ever came out, so I guess I'm all set. I'm not really sure. The, you know, the equipment's set up, and they should be here probably in another hour's amount of time. And then he kind of lingered, and I'm like thinking to myself, what do I talk to a Secret Service agent about? So I just kind of say, I said, so, are you on this gig often? You know, and I, I'm like, I don't know what kind of small talk to make. He's like, and he starts telling me, he goes, no, nah, I'm actually out of Chicago. And I usually work on, you know, I'm usually working on a different, you know, st- I think he said like uh, the financial side of the Secret Service or something. And then it dawned on me. I said, you know what? I said, I've got a friend that's a Secret Service agent. I said, they, they used to be based in New York, and that was the last time I saw him in person. He had been relatively new with the Secret Service, and he was based out of New York, working in that financial area as well. I said, he recently moved to Maryland, though, out, outside of D.C., so I know he's working in D.C. now. And I think this guy thought I was bullshitting him, right? So he asked me the guy, my friend's name. So I told him, and he pulls out his cell phone, and he does a little, you know, little search on his phone, and he shows me, and then he takes his phone, and he shows me, is this the guy? I'm like, yeah, that's him. He goes, man, it says here that he's on Donald Trump's duty. And I'm like, what? Seriously? Is he here now? He goes, I don't know. It just says that he's on duty. So then we start, you know, we finish talking because he had to go back to his, you know, his, his station. And then I start to email my friend's wife. I've been friends with these guys forever. The wife is in the Kosovo Society with me. And if you've been listening to the previous episodes, I've mentioned the Kosovo Society, a very unique honor society 
at USF, my alma mater, that I was a part of after I relinquished my athletic scholarship. I got this huge academic scholarship for this little group called the Kosovo Society, and that's how I knew the wife. And then, obviously, her husband, I mean, we've been friends for over 15 years, but I hadn't seen him in a really long time, in like five or six years. And so I proceed to send her an email, and I tell her really quick through email, I'm like, hey, you're not going to believe this. I'm over here, and I tell her the story that I'm here and what just happened, and the guy told me that her husband's on Trump's detail. I'm like, is he here? Because if so, I would have loved to have seen him. These are like, oh, my God, two of my favorite people, and I haven't seen him in a long time. Well, unbelievably, she got my message within like an hour and a half, two hours, and she wrote back and she said that he actually was not there and that he had just finished training to be on Trump's transportation detail. And I just was stupefied by, again, the synchronicity and the coincidence. And so I proceed to have, now the machine ended up barely working. So I don't know if they scrambled the signals. I don't know. And it was amusing to see the majority of the racers' opinions that went by because I simply was tasked to be and sit at that box until the last group went by. And then I had to pack it up and go address another one that was set up. We had three different timing areas. And so I just, after, you know, I'm just sitting here and it, no one ever came to check on me. And the hilarity of the fact that I had a box and wires in my non-threatening little car, little self, you know, with this traffic vest, five sizes too big. The fact that a friend of mine wasn't there, but literally had just become assigned to Trump's detail and could have been there. Just a wild, wild set of circumstances. Um, so quite a crazy story. And I think one of the more interesting thing too, one of the more interesting things about this too is, uh, you know, fast forward some years now, the last time that I was home in Michigan was a little over a year ago, and my mom had a gathering at her house. And I've got a, one uncle who is an uncle by marriage, extremely successful businessman, right? Extremely successful. And for the most part, this uncle, you know, he, I mean, the guy is at the top of the pyramids of, of, you know, he's, he's a powerful guy. And for years and years and years, I really don't think he could, you know, just, I just didn't have that many conversations with him where I actually felt like, I don't know, where I felt like I was even on par with him, right? Like I knew he didn't see me that way until this last trip home where I shared this story. And it was really interesting. I shared this story about Donald Trump and I also, in it was like all of a sudden that got me to a different level with this particular uncle. Now all of a sudden he was seeing me in a different light and speaking to me with a little bit different of a of a appreciation. It was really interesting. And come to find out, he and my aunt were about to go to Australia for his 70th birthday just a few months later. And then he found out that I was I had gone to Australia and I shared with him all the details of my trip all those many years ago. So it was really interesting for me that my Donald Trump story and my traveling to Australia all of a sudden elevated me in this particular uncle's mind where I was seen in a very different way. 
Now, I could go off on a, another tangent with that. I'm just going to, I like to sometimes drop these key points that I know will come up later in sharings. And this particular uncle will come up in next week's episode when we talk about integrity in leadership. And he, I rest assured, he'll probably re, be referenced on the periphery again. But very interesting. And, and you know, I don't believe in accidents or coincidences only synchronicities. So pretty crazy set of circumstances that all came together on that particular weekend. It was a wild experience to witness firsthand right there. Um, something, something like this. Um, all right. Well, to conclude for this week's episode, let's bring it back full circle to the bigger picture. As I pan out to that bigger picture, and widen the focus. This is when I know I can tend to kind of lose my train of thought and I'm apt to not complete any one thought because the the thoughts that come through are more a stream of consciousness and more following a frequency and energy level versus a particular one particular idea. And I also tend to get more metaphysical, which can lose people as well. So I am aware of that and I'm going to do my best here to keep this really clear and succinct, this particular pan out this week as we pan and the ultimate pan out of life, the ultimate pan out of reality is the title of this week's episode that all is valid. Anything goes when it comes to determining reality. Everything's on the table and we get to pick and choose which pieces work for us. Another way of looking at this, Pablo Picasso once said, everything you can imagine is real. Everything you can imagine is real. Feel that statement. That means that no two people No two people live the exact same reality, even if they're identical twins, even if they make the exact same choices. Every single one of us are in our own heads. We're experiencing this great thing called life as unique expressions of the one energy and no two individuals. We each serve as our own filter through our minds, through our experiences, through our vessels. Therefore, no no two people experience the same reality. In no small way, the greater truth is we each are living literally in our own worlds. And then we come together and we've tried to create a mass reality. Okay? The problem is that just like gravity... There are certain universal truths that you cannot deny. We have tried to build a society that is hierarchy-based around creating order and keeping order in our reality. There is no. Inherent in a hierarchy is better than. And the universal truth is there is no better than. Everything is equally valid, but unique, different, not better, different. 
So any systems that are based upon hierarchy, to the extent that our world is based upon hierarchy, there's your first strike in terms of creating chaos because you're working against the universal fact, which is there is no better. Secondly, we've tried to create reality by making laws and rules, both written and unwritten. Guess what? There's only a single law that we need to follow, and that is the law of one. Ultimately, at our source, we are all unique expressions of the one energy. If we go all the way up the family tree, if you will, we are all connected. The law of one. It behooves us to love our neighbor, even the ones that are the complete opposite of us, that have all the opposite beliefs and expressions. That is a different expression of the one. It's our brother. It's our sister. And we have created a reality that, again, we segregate into us versus them, red versus blue. As long as we're trying to create a reality with these segregations, again, chaos, inefficiency, disharmony, imbalance will result because we're working against nature. We're working against the greater truth. You can also try to place the governing of any one individual outside of itself, but that is not going to work. We all have the capability and we were intended to learn how to self-govern. We are each expressions of the one, whether you call it God, the light, the source, that greatness is in all of us. And as such, you better believe we have the abilities to self-govern. We do not need all these things existing outside of us to create harmony and balance. Maturity, we need to evolve a bit in terms of our maturity, but again, going against the universal truth. Self-governing is what we intended to do. Okay, so let's summarize. Universal truth is anything goes. Reality, there is no inherent meaning or inherent value to anything. All of that is human-derived, human-created. We all down here in our human forms, we assign meaning. We assign value. None of it is inherently good or bad, right or wrong. Anything goes. Meaning is human-derived and reality. When something becomes real... For most of the paradigm right now, we're, we're still existing that it's not real unless you can see it. Well, sidebar here, that's another going against the universal truth. The universal truth is you have to believe it first in order to experience it. If you don't believe it, you're not going to experience it. But let's, for argument's sake, in the paradigm of seeing is believing, when something is able to be seen, we call it real. Universal fact, something becomes real, observable to others by our human senses as a result of attention, focus, perspective, and agreements. Again, what we're giving our attention in terms of our thoughts, what focus we're choosing, what we're choosing to focus upon, what perspective we're choosing to take, 
I would add attitude, what attitude you're choosing to adopt, and agreements. Mass reality is simply mass agreements. And to me, it's become pretty clear here, late July 2020, that we are far past the time for needing to renegotiate. The agreements are no longer serving the vast majority of the public, at least here in America, which is where I'm primarily based, where my life has existed in my observation. It's pretty clear that in mass, as a society, we've got majority of people are now very upset. The agreements are not working and it's time to renegotiate. It's time to recreate everything if you want to choose to see it that way. And the interesting thing to me as an observer, hey, I'm not married to any of this. I'm, you know, like obviously I have preferences and opinions. How we've been living these past four year, four months with COVID, this is not a reality that I'm really excited about. I do not believe in a lot of the things that the mass media is pitching and it's a slippery slope of what we're giving away. But I also understand that nothing outside of me creates my reality. It's how I choose to interpret and tell the story. But it's clear that in mass, we're calling for change. We're calling for change. And I think we've identified, I think there's been an agreement that we know and have acknowledged that the systems themselves need to change. We've acknowledged we have systematic issues And I will say again, Albert Einstein, you cannot solve problems from the same level of consciousness that created them. You must see the world anew. You can't solve systematic problems from within the system that created it. We're going to have to come out of our shells. We're going to have to reimagine. We're going to have to get creative. And guess what? We're going to have to learn to sit literally at a table with people who believe the exact opposite of us and choose to mutually respect that they have every equal right to hold that belief and opinion. And it starts and you would be surprised. You would be amazed at what a different reality would result if two people with completely opposite opinions could genuinely sit at a table and simply agree to respect the other instead of trying to convince the other that their idea is right. And I'm not going to go on a sidebar from that, but I'm going to conclude with this. And this is a part that I, I'm, I've held back from expressing. It would have taken somebody literally putting a gun to my head to participate for the past 12 years in our political process. As I've said multiple times before, I gave up my TV and I gave up politics and all mass media in 2008. It's the best thing and the simplest thing I ever did to get back to the greater truth, to get back to harmony, to get back to peace and happiness. I, something, this was pre-awakening, pre-spiritual awakening, but I know that that was a big part that kind of greased the wheels, if you will, and prepped me for the greater awakening. Cause I've always known that it was so much more than just two political parties and oversimplifying things, the way and constricting things, the way that we had our systems had come to. So I believed in Gandhi's quote, be the change you wish to see in the world. And then after my awakening, 
I realized through my enlightened, much more enlightened, vaster perspective, I understood now that the greater truth was that how reality is created and that it begins with what we're giving to what we're giving our focus and attention. And I vowed right then and there, as soon as that, that under, that understanding fully clicked in, I had, that was the full permission that I had been missing in terms of giving myself permission to follow what my calling was, which was with every moment of my life for the rest of this life, dedicating to Gandhi's quote, to being the change. I've always seen and recognized that the change that needed to occur was systematic from the time I was a little girl. And I knew when I, when I awakened and it became clear to me that the universal fact was what we give our attention to consciousness is how reality is created. And it's a smorgasbord. We get to choose how you're going to tell the story and how you choose to tell it, what you choose to, to bring attention to with your thoughts, your actions, your words, and more thoughts, actions, and words that then becomes physical reality. So I then at that moment chose to no longer give any of my attention to a system that had clearly demonstrated to me that it was well beyond no longer sufficient in terms of achieving what it claimed to achieve at the minimum managing our society in America in an equitable, just way. And I focused entirely on being the change I wanted to see the world I wanted to live in from the ground up with my company of me. So it would have taken somebody, literally, it would have taken it being a law or somebody putting a gun to my head to force me to participate and give any attention to the old way. However, had somebody done that, I would have, me, when I identified as a politician, a politics person, I was one entirely on the blue side. After my awakening, I understood more of the red side than I had ever understood before. And I was more in the middle than I had ever, I didn't care anymore, but I recognized and realized how that was all part of their game. The dark trying to pit us and make us argue about the surface. I would have voted for Donald Trump had somebody made me vote. A lifelong Democrat would have voted for Trump had somebody made me. I didn't because nobody made me. But I would have for one single reason. He was not a politician and I knew the systems had to collapse. And the only way I knew that some way, some shape, some form through the character of Donald Trump, what little I knew of his insanity, his just out of the box, do whatever he wants. I knew he was going to be a catalyst for the collapse of the systems. I knew it. And that is exactly what is transpiring and we're fighting it. Even though we acknowledge with our words and with our desire for change and more equitable, we need new systems and we need all the people out there who are holding on to these systems, afraid of the fact. And that's what it comes down to. You have to trust that there are and have been for decades, millions of people working in very unique ways energetically, if only energetically, but a lot more than that to build these new systems based and more accurately representing the universal facts. You cannot do it with a hierarchy. You cannot do it in a dollar-based world. It's got to be human-based. 
It's got to recognize that everything is on the table for being valid and as such real for any one individual. And to come together in mass, it boils down to agreements. And it behooves us to be able to recognize with respect everybody's equal validity and to come to the table and learn how to harmonize a greater mass reality. And it begins with, first of all, let's focus on, focus on what's going right. Focus on love. Everything, it's okay if it's coming apart at the seams. Trust, just for shits and giggles, try to imagine. For those of you that love Trump, you're, you're not having a problem right now. But for all of you that don't love Trump, one, don't give him your attention. You already know who you're going to vote for, not him, so don't feed it. You're just feeding him. And just try on for size that perhaps, as lunatic as you think he is, perhaps he's serving a greater purpose that ultimately could benefit everybody. And guess what? If you choose to see it that way, and if enough of us choose to see it that way, then that greater, fairer, more just, thriving reality will result. And I know it seems counterintuitive because some of his personal beliefs, what they are. But I'm just saying that it's on the table as a choice to tell the story that way. We get to make it up. We're at the renegotiating table. Focus on the positive. Focus on love. Don't focus on the stuff that upsets you. And just, if you don't, the best attention you can give is to just trust, just for the hell of it. It doesn't hurt you to believe the best way of being able to look at the situation, whether you're for Trump or against Trump. If we are all for one another and we are for love, focus your energy on that. And more so, focus it just within yourself. Don't look externally for what reality is. Our reality on the outside is simply mirroring out, projecting out what's going on in our insides. And we can't have a happy, peaceful mass reality unless we have a bunch of happy, peaceful individuals comprising those masses. So your job is to be as happy and as peaceful as possible. And if you're not that, That's what your work would be. And if you are that, keep on trucking along. But spending your time and your energy being angry, focusing on anger, focusing on you got to go to what you can control. And the only thing you can control is yourself. And understand, go back and re-listen to, and I'll conclude with this, mass reality. Reality is, this is fact. Fact. Just like gravity, reality results when you see something that's the last piece. Anything goes. Anything that you can imagine is real. Anything that any human imagine, any human on their own or any group of humans can imagine is real somewhere in the universal dimensions. Meaning is human derived. Nothing has inherent meaning or inherent value. Humans make those decisions. And what we ultimately experience as reality out there comes as a result of our attention to what we're giving attention, how we're choosing to focus, what perspective 
and what attitude we're choosing to adopt when looking at said thing, and most importantly, agreements and what we're agreeing to. And we are all in this together. Ultimately, we are all connected to the same one energy and learning how to forgive and love somebody that believes and looks at the world 180 degrees different than you is the greatest work we all can be doing on our own right now. And I promise you an entirely different world will result if and when we get to that point. Thank you. I look forward to seeing you, talking to you again next week.